thank you so much for leading us in worship today. And I'm so glad to see all of you today. Welcome to God's house. We have folks out listening in the parking lot over the radio. We welcome you here also and those who will listen later by internet uh, online. We welcome you as well. So glad to see all of you here today and I agree with what Kevin said earlier uh, about us living in the state of South Carolina. If, if we weren't in South Carolina, I'd probably, you'd be visiting me in jail because I would have probably ex exercised civil disobedience at this point and have been arrested, which, you know, been there before, not afraid to go back, to tell you the truth. But anyway, I'm glad I can be with you out of jail and be with you this morning. I'm, I'm teasing somewhat. But I welcome all of you. We have some folks from other churches who uh, are here because their church is too frightened to start back yet. That's okay. That's all right. I'm glad all of you here, uh, whatever the reason for your coming, welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay, how, how do you think most people answer the following phrase? I just want to be happy. Is that what most people would say to answer that phrase? Yes, they would. I just want to be happy, Pastor. I just want to be happy. That's right, Jake. Happy. Well, how is one happy? Well, happy Eric Fromm, the great psychologist, I used to read his writings back before dirt was made when I was a psychology graduate at Gardner-Webb University. And if you are a psychology graduate, you'll understand, like me, it's a useless degree. Totally useless, but I did it. And, uh, but Eric Fromm, in his book, The Art of Loving, said that happiness in the modern world is comprised of having fun. And how fun is defined in the modern world is by consuming. So we consume more and more of whatever we like to us that's having fun, whether it be food, whether it be entertainment, whatever it might be, it's the taking in of commodities. Fromm is probably right. That's the way our modern day world would define and or describe happiness. Saw a cartoon from a, a northern newspaper. This lady was coming out of a store and she was talking to her friend. She said, I've been so happy lately. I just don't know if it's me or my vitamins. Well, I'm going to tell you that happiness is not found in the vitamins. It's not found in consuming. Happiness, according to scripture, is found in a totally different way. And we see the keys to happiness in God's word this morning. And I want you to look there with me. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. And remember that I began preaching through the gospel of John last July. And here we are in May, and I'm not even uh, to finish chapter 13. So I'm going somewhat slow, but we're covering every verse in the entirety of what we would call the Johannine Gospel, the Gospel according to John. And we come to 13, verses 1 through 17. And it begins by saying, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them 
to the end. Now, some versions say he loved them to the uttermost. He loves his merry band of brothers. Now by the end of the time of now by the time of supper, the devil had already prompted or put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew the Father had given him everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, he laid aside his robe, he took a towel, and he tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, and to dry them with the towel that he had tied around himself. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And he answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. You'll never wash my feet ever, Peter replied. That's what we call a double negative. Once there was a lecture going on and some English professor said, you know, there is no language, no language in which a double positive ever makes a negative. Some smart aleck kid on the back row said, yeah, right. <laughs> You'll catch it in just a minute. Raise your hand when you catch it. But anyway, he gives a double negative. No, never. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, you're not all clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you not know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. That is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. I assure you, look at verse 16. A slave is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. We'll stop there. Oh, my friends, we do see the keys, two keys to happiness. And those keys, the first of which we will find Jesus telling us, is the key of humility. Humility is the first key to true happiness. And we see it powerfully exampled here in this passage. Now what's happening in the context of the discussion, the timing of this discussion? Well, Jesus has come back into Jerusalem. It is what uh, Christians later would call Holy Week. We celebrate it before Easter because we call the Sunday prior to Easter Palm Sunday. And uh, usually where most evangelical churches focus on the cross, but the cross had not yet occurred, but it was the week of that. And we know it was that Sunday when he came into Jerusalem and they laid their palms before him and they sang and shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. Even one of the 
evangelical Baptist churches in Jerusalem today on that Palm Sunday carry out and go walking and having dancing and singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, and they're carrying palm fronds just like they did on that Palm Sunday. He comes into Jerusalem. We've already seen some of the things that happened in the temple courts as he had his interesting dialogue, as some would say, scintillating repartee with the Jewish religious leaders. Wednesday was probably a rest day, but Thursday he takes his disciples to what is called the upper room. Now, if you ever go to Israel with me, I'll take you to what's called the upper room. Is it the exact room that Jesus took his disciples to? Absolutely not. In fact, the building we'll take you to was actually constructed during the Crusader period, hundreds of years after Jesus was there, but it was probably the early uh, Roman Catholic Church identified as the area Uh, where it probably did occur. So he takes his disciples to this upper room. We do know it was somewhere in the the western part of the old city, uh, just west uh, and south a little bit of uh, where Jesus would be taken to be tried. And he takes them to this upper room. So that's what we see in these first few verses of John 13. Now verses 1, 2, and 3 emphasize what he knew Whereas verses 4 and 5 emphasize what he did. So we look at what he knew. He knew several things. First of all, he knew that his hour had come. What does that mean? Remember, I've told you, Jesus lived on a heavenly timetable. So he did everything according to the timetable that was already established for him by God the Father. So he knows that his hour has come. Now, up until this point, We've seen multiple times where the Jewish religious leaders tried to capture him, tried to hurt him, and he always escaped their grasp. Well, he was always safe until now. And now the forces of evil are unleashed, and he now knows that his hour has come. Soon he will be betrayed. Soon he will enter into this time of betrayal and trial and crucifixion. This is the beginning of the end of the earthly life of our Lord Jesus. He knew that his hour had come. From a human standpoint, it was suffering. He was about to suffer. But from a divine standpoint, he would receive glory. And in the human and the divine standpoints are always different. He knew his hour had come. But he also knew that Judas would betray him. Judas is mentioned eight times in John's gospel. And we know the Bible here says that Satan had entered into him. It's the same word that's used other places saying that he was prompted by the evil one. It's the same word that's used where it says that, that, um, that Satan throws his darts into uh, the lives of people. And we know here we see that Judas was not a true believer and therefore he had no shield of faith with which to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. But Jesus knew who it was. Jesus was not surprised by uh, the disingenuousness of Judas. He was not surprised by his betrayal. He knows that Satan has already put it in his heart. 
But he also knew, verse 3, that the Father had given him all things. He knew even in his humiliation that our Lord had all things through the Father. Though poor, he was rich with that which the Father had given and granted to him. He was the complete master of this situation. Now, what Jesus then did, what he knew then determined what he did. What he knew determined what he did. Because he knew who he was. He knew he was on God's timetable. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He decided to do something which reveals the first key to happiness. Pastor, I just want to be happy. Well, here's what Jesus says needs to happen. If you're really going to be happy, you need to be humble. And so look at verses 4 and 5. The disciples were shocked to their core by what happened. I brought me an old towel that I've had for years. Probably still nice, not probably dirty, but I, anyway, I just brought it anyway. Somebody said, you're going to preach up a storm. You, you know, there are some preachers that get up and they, 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 they start wiping. I, that's why I always pull out my handkerchief. You've seen me do that before, but I, th I brought some heavy-duty stuff today. But no, seriously, Jesus brought a towel to supper. Why? Because he wanted to teach his disciples a powerful lesson. Now you need to understand that in first century Judaism, the men usually wore sandals. Some of you have sandals on, that's fine. The roads were dirty, they were dusty, you got dirty. And often, not always, but often in a dinner setting, the host would sometimes surprise his guests by washing their feet. But not always. Even Jewish servants did not wash the feet of those who would come in. Sometimes a Gentile slave would do it, but not a Jewish servant. It was a place of humility. So Jesus shocked his disciples in verse 4 and 5 by showing this special mark of affection by this special service. So here we see Jesus taking on this menial task of washing the feet of his disciples. Well, Jesus knew that there was a competitive spirit in the hearts of his disciples. In fact, they had already been arguing, who do you think's the greatest in this group of brothers? You think it's me? I think it is. I think it's me. I think I'm the best. I think I'm his favorite. Well, Jesus knew this spirit was within them, so he decided to teach them a lesson. Here is the sovereign Son of God taking the form of a servant and washing the dirty, stinky feet of his disciples. Now, how many of you have ever been to a foot washing service? Raise your hand. I have too. In fact, I had my feet washed once in a deacon's meeting. I was just kind of like Peter. I wanted to say, no, 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 no. You're not going to do that to me. But I had at least enough common horse sense once in my life to keep my mouth shut when I should have. And it was a special experience. Here is the sovereign son of God taking the place of a slave. Oh, my friends, true humility grows out of our relationship with the Lord. There's no doubt about it. But if our desire is to know and do the Father's will, then we glorify His name. We will experience the joy of serving others by following the example of Christ.
Instead of a worldly spirit of criticism and competition, we grow in the Lord as we serve other people. He loved his disciples. He said that in the latter part of verse 1. But we see this tremendous act of servanthood as Jesus, the Son of God, washes the feet of his disciples. They were shocked. They couldn't believe it. I remember I was asked to speak at a seminary graduation once. That was not unusual. I did it a lot in those days. All over. But I remember this was a different one. I was invited to uh, Seminario Bautista in Ciudadano de Mexico, Mexico, the main seminary in Mexico City, our main Baptist Bautista seminary in Mexico City, Mexico. And it was a wonderful experience. The president of the seminary does the graduation stuff and then he gets out a bowl of water and he washes the feet of every graduate. And then one of his assistants, after he's done, one of his assistants come over, comes over and gives him a clean towel. And when they graduated, they got a diploma and a towel. Woo! I never forgot it. And I guarantee you those, those graduates never forgot it either. Because here they would go into churches and he said, you're to be a servant. You're to be a servant. Jesus could have said, you wash my feet. He's the sovereign son of God. I deserve you to wash my feet. But what did he do? He got down and he washed their feet. Humility is the first key to happiness. If you ever really want to be happy, you humble yourself. You recognize who you are. That others are more important than you are. I was at my grandson's house a few months ago. And he and his daddy were having a little, his daddy was having a little discipline time with him. Now, I think my grandchildren are perfect. I can't imagine them ever needing discipline. But their parents see things differently than I do as a grandparent. And... He was disciplining his son. And I'll never forget, he said, it took me aback. He, this son-in-law, I don't remember his name, but he said to my little grandson, he said, you're not the most important person in the world. And I'm thinking, that's not what modern-day parents say to their children. They all tell him, you're the most important thing in the world. And they begin to believe it. And they go out into the work world and realize, maybe they're not. key to humility, the key to happiness is humility. Humility. But there's another one. Look with me at verses 6 through 11. As, as Peter's feet, as, he, as Peter's watching this scene unfold, he becomes increasingly disturbed. Now, we've talked about Peter before. We know Peter was Peter. And some of you say you feel like Peter. Well, maybe you are, maybe you're not. I don't know. But Peter was impulsive. Peter was one, have you ever had, if you're a teacher, <laughs> you ever had a student whose hand's always the first up? Whether they know the answer or not, their hand's up. Well, Peter was that kind of student. He was that kind of pupil. He was always wanting to speak first. He, he just did. He was, that's just the way he was. He couldn't help it. He just was like that. And he was prone to say things before he thought. Are any of you like that? 
mouth in gear, <laughs> mind in neutral. Well, he, he, he was prone to do that on occasion. And as he watches Jesus washing the feet of these disciples, he's increasingly disturbed. Now, I need to teach you just a little Greek here. It helps you understand. In verse 5, the word to wash means to wash a part of the body. The word in verse 10 refers to washing the entirety of the body. It, there are two different words that are used there because Jesus wanted to teach them a lesson. Now look at this. Watch carefully. Stand with me. The second key is holiness. And we see this holiness portrayed here as Peter is increasingly disturbed and he says... Jesus said, what, what, you're do, what I'm doing now, you don't understand, but you're going to. And he tries to get him to understand. No, 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 he said, if you, I'm, you cannot wash my feet. No, never. Double negative. And Jesus replied, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. What is he saying? When the sinner trusts Christ, when we come to know the Lord Jesus, we're washed all over. He cleans us. Isn't it good to know you're clean in the Lord? Really? I mean, He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says He takes our sin and places it as far as the east is from the west. He washes us all over. But maybe you're like me, as if we walk in the world, we sometimes get a little dirty once again. Our feet get a little dirty once in a while. We become too much like the world. We, we need to confess our sins all over again. We become defiled. It's what he's saying here. He's simply saying that when you come to Christ, you get cleaned up. But sometimes we need a little residual forgiveness. We need to be washed on our feet once again. Peter didn't understand what he was saying. He impulsively tried to tell the Lord what to do using that double negative you shall no means wash my feet. No, never. And that's when he discovered that to refuse the Lord meant to lose the Lord's fellowship. So he goes in the opposite direction and said, Okay, just give me a whole big bath, Jesus. If you're going to do it, do the whole thing. Poor Pete, he just didn't quite understand anything. The important lesson for us today is never question the work of the Lord. Never question the will of the Lord. He had a difficult time accepting Christ's ministry to join him, maybe because Christ knew what was in his heart and knew that he was going to have a difficult time washing anybody else's feet. You say, is this a literal command? Are we supposed to, why don't we wash feet at Pebble Creek? Well, it's not wrong to wash feet at Pebble Creek. And there are churches that still do foot washing. And I do not make fun of them. I do not criticize them for that. But I think Jesus is speaking here a teaching lesson. That what I'm doing to you examples the kind of servanthood that I want you to follow. I want you to be out there in the real world. And I want you to be washing the feet of the real world. And it may be done in ministering in some other way than just washing feet. It may be feeding the hungry. It may be helping the poor. It may be helping people who are struggling in some area of their life and you share the gospel with them and you're helping them. He wants us to be a part of that, that helping ministry. But he teaches holiness in the midst of this. The lesson here that we're to learn, he wants us to be clean 
everywhere. And once we've been saved and cleansed all over, he wants us to come to him and get clean as often as we need to. One who was bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, verse 10. But he's completely clean. You're clean. But referring to Judas, but not all of you. Oh, my friends, we see the key here is holiness. Walking righteously. So humility and holiness. Humility and holiness are the keys to happiness. Isn't it good to be clean? Isn't it good? When you get off your knees in your private place, in your prayer closet, wherever it is, a chair that's your favorite place, isn't it good to get up and know you're cleansed? It is. It is. The third point, we see the result of happiness. We see the result of happiness. King James Version, in verse 17, says, If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Most modern-day versions say blessed. It's the same word as happiness. So he here says the sequence is important. First, there is what? There is humbleness. There's humility. Second, there is holiness. And then there is happiness. You know, our world thinks that happiness is the result of others serving us. That's really what the world thinks. If you're a big shot you got a lot of people taking care of you. And if you're a real big shot, you know, you get puffed up when people say, how many people work for you? Well, i got a lot of people work for me. But Jesus would say, how many people do you serve? How many people do you work for? How many people do you help? That's Jesus' idea of happiness. This world says you should be served. Jesus says you ought to serve. So the key to happiness is humility and holiness, not the other way around. Oh, by becoming a servant, our Lord Jesus did not push people down. He lifted us up. He dignified service. He dignified sacrifice. It's not enough just to know this truth. The blessing comes in doing it. Even in studying this section in John's gospel, it ought to stir us up to want to do something for someone else. And so I ask you, what are you going to do with the towel? Oh, you may not literally wash someone's feet, but what are you going to do? Yeah, you can dry them with that towel, but even more than that, what are you going to do? Help somebody this week. How can you minister to somebody this week? How can you help? someone this week. I pray you'll be looking for opportunities. I pray you'll say, okay, God, I'm looking for an opportunity this week to help somebody. And God, it may not be somebody I like a whole lot. It might not be someone that I would actually want to spend a lot of time with. Got a call from a lady this week. And... Uh, She's not, not here. She's not in this church. She's from another place. <laughs> but she's one that always leaves me with something to do. Every time I talk to her, she wants me to do something. She wanted me to know if I would be a mentor to a boy that's been in jail. He's now in a halfway house. Inside. I'm not going to tell you who it was, Jake. Jake will ask out. That's all right, that's all right Jake. I'm not going to tell you who it was. But I'm going to tell you this. Yes, I'm going to do it. Yes, I'm going to do it. 
Now, it's a situation where I probably could have been myself, in all honesty. I could have been there myself. But I thought, you know, Lord, what would you want me to do? I'm going to try to help. Where would God have you help this week? Where would he have you serve? What person could you minister to even this week? What are you going to do with the towel? Humility, holiness, happiness. Say that out loud with me. Humility, holiness, and happiness. One more time. Humility, holiness, and then happiness. That's the way God says you can be happy. Pastor, all I want to do is be happy. Okay. Then focus on humility and focus on holiness, having your whole body, including your feet, washed by the powerful forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then, Lord, who can I serve? You know, I believe, you know, that the way to happiness and the way to break from malaise or melancholy, as they used to call it, is through serving others. Have you ever noticed in the book of Job, toward the very end, Job had gone through a hard time, but it says in the very last chapter, and God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. If you're depressed and you're down, and I struggle with that in my own life, the best way to get out is by helping somebody else. But the human part of us says, somebody needs to come take care of me. The way is through serving others. Isn't that right? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your formula for spiritual joy. And it comes, the Lord, through true humility, exampled by the Lord Jesus. Holiness provided for by the Lord Jesus. So, Father, I pray that we would come to understand your formula for true spiritual joy. And, Father, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place that first of all, you would give us an understanding of what salvation really is, that we would be washed clean today totally by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, giving our hearts to you. Oh God, we pray for salvation of every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place. But God, that you've sa- now that you've saved us, Father, we pray that you would help us to live out a life of humility and service and holiness. Oh God, give us opportunities even this week to minister to persons whom we may not even normally like. But give us opportunity, Lord, to be your hands, your feet, washing the feet of a needy world. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.